Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Department 12 podcast, a podcast dedicated to IO psychology, if you can believe that. And in this episode, we're talking to Paul Thorison about change management. Paul goes by SurveyGuy2 on Twitter, and uh, I asked him to tell us a little bit about himself. He said he grew up in the state of Iowa. I originally did counseling work on the clinical side of the fence, but after about a decade, wanted to re-specialize. This led to going back to graduate school and getting my master's in industrial organizational psychology at the University of Northern Iowa with Michael Gasser and David Witsit. I was in a doctoral program for a while, but did not complete. Maybe that makes me a master's plus. My wife and I moved to Minnesota in 2004 and much enjoyed here in Minneapolis. There's a thriving community of IO psychology practitioners, not to mention great restaurants, cool culture, great school system, and friendly people, etc. Sounds good to me. In my work, I've done employee surveys, organization development, change management, assessment, and more. Along the way, I've gotten certified in the Hogan Assessment Systems, the ADCAR Change Management Model through Prosky, and the Rocket Model, Team Effectiveness with Gordy Curfee. I apologize if I mispronounced anything in that previous sentence, Paul, and I'm almost certain that I did. I've also had the chance to volunteer with the Minnesota Organization Development Network, MNODN, the Minnesota Professionals for Psychology Applied to Work, MPPAW, and the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, uh, which, of course, is PSYOP. My first question for Paul was, do we pay enough attention to change management in IO psych programs? If not, why should we? Uh, Paul answers, the short answer is no. Although organization development and organization change are competency areas and are part of our discipline, it seems as if they get short shrift compared to employee selection, leadership development, and other areas on the I side. Last year in 2015, the SIOP Conference and the Association for Change Management Professionals, ACMP, conference were only a few days apart. Cannot think of many people who would try to go to both back-to-back. It is a little ironic since we learned so much about social and individual psychology in grad school. There's a bit of a gap when it comes to application to organizational change. In many respects, change management has grown as a field separate from SIOP, academic training and practice in IO psychology, has much to offer change management IO psychology. Most change management professionals might not be doing item response theory or hierarchical linear modeling. However, they have great experience in getting things done within an organizational context. So, for example, why build a state-of-the-art employee selection system if it's going to fail in implementation? Uh, That's a good question. There's a real common theme in, in the answers I've gotten in our episode so far, and it's this divide between the I side and the O side. And it's really fascinating for me to hear this is just a Ben speaking as an aside, I guess because it's I've uh, gone to graduate school online, I've never really been pushed into one side or another. I've written papers and uh, done research in both sides, and um, this uh, strong divide uh, that people feel the need to, to jump on one side or the river, I just never really was aware of it until I started hosting this show. Uh, next question I asked was, what's the latest evidence on change management? Paul answers, well, this is a good question. In some respects, change management is known. For the off-quoted stat that 70% of change management projects fail, you have heard that one. However, there's a fair amount of debate as to the accuracy of this statistic. Yeah, this has been, I'd be shocked if it was exactly 70%, right? I would refer the listener to the writings of Dr. Jennifer Jennifer Fromm, that's F-R-A-H-M, for further resources to help clarify. Essentially, there is little rigorous data on fail rates in change management. This is in part due to definitions of success, controlling for whether or not a change agent was involved, and how the data is collected. 
Retrospectively asking a CEO if that change was successful does not seem to be the best methodology. Yeah, right on. Also, I would direct the listeners to read What's the Evidence for Change Management by Rob Briner for his evidence-based management perspective on this question. And I will include the link to this article in the show notes. Uh, Chris Geib, um, and again, I apologize if I mispronounced your name, Chris, asks, Paul, the more things change, the more they stay the same. How does one deal with change cynics in an organization? Paul answers, one of the most damaging aspects to future change is poorly executed past change management. A common tactic by change agents is to develop heat maps to look for areas of large resistance. Often resistance may be justified. Just because employees are resistant to your change initiative does not mean that they are not involved in their work or that they are poor performers. A good change agent will work to identify resistance, listen to areas of concern, address the areas of concern, and work to determine how to enlist the resistors as advocates of the change, which is, as an aside, a really neat trick if you can pull it off. (laughs) Sometimes those who have a high degree of resistance are also those who have the highest knowledge of the process or procedure that is being changed, uh, definitely. I agree with you on that, Paul. I'd love to hear from other podcast listeners on this topic of change and resistance. I would encourage listeners to also check out the work of Walter McFarland for embedding a change-focused view of change mastery for organizations. Chris Worley also has the Agile organization concept as another example of change-forward companies. Chris Geib's next question is, it's easy to cast skeptics as cynics, but what if skepticism is deserved after the nth time of seeing change fail? Paul says, this is a great question. I agree with him. I wish I had the perfect answer for it. But usually this is referred to as change fatigue, as people do get tired of constant change. This is especially noticeable when previous change has been poorly executed, botched, or abandoned partway through. The answer is not to vote the cynics off the island. I see part of the answer to this problem as making sure you're doing the change with employees as opposed to to employees. There's way too much emphasis on top-down change. There needs to be more emphasis on bottom-up change. I'm not saying that senior leadership is not important, because obviously it is. You need stakeholders who can remove obstacles, provide resources, as well as point to where you're going. But there has to be more than just buy-in from the people affected by the change. There has to be ownership by the people affected by the change. If they can create the change on the front end with you, then they become change owners instead of victims of change. question from Christopher Hudson. You can find uh, his Twitter handle in the show notes as well. What aspects get you the most amount of resistance from management or employees? Paul responds, well, I will go with the top of mind general answer and say when people do not obviously see what's in it for me or the whiffum often bandied about in change circles. One project that comes to mind immediately was one where we were changing the performance appraisal process. It seemed like it was easy for people to look for problems instead of the proposed efficiencies and increased effectiveness. In this case, yes, we were moving to a more frequent appraisal three times a year, but we were making the appraisal process take about one-tenth the time the original one time per year process took. Context is key. Even if you have a great solution and model, do not overlook organizational culture, whatever you do. I actually just read a research brief by Dr. David Wilkinson at Oxford Review, which looks at two factors that predicts people's intention to leave during organizational change. It is a summary of a PhD dissertation and, in broad terms, a violation of psychological contract and lack of shared mental models will contribute to turnover intentions during change. Only one study, but in general, a useful and intuitive finding. This is in alignment of people having their status or security threatened 
by the organizational change as well. Next question is from Veronica Jackal, who asks, are there any meta-analysis regarding, regarding measures to perform a change, like relocation, M&A, with the leash strain? Paul responds, not that I'm aware of. That doesn't mean one does not exist. However, I don't know actual meta-analysis. Veronica may be aware of the system systematic review by Barron's et al., but I hazard many other listeners are not. I refer them to effects of change interventions. What kinds of evidence do we really have? And I'll include that link in the show notes. Maybe when my request to access the beta version of Metabus is approved, this is an area we can gather information on in a more efficient manner. But there are other approaches uh, you may find helpful, especially for critical success factors for change management. Often these are available from certification bodies who also do industry research, such as Prosky or Change First. I have a few other resources to consider for staying up to date. Also encourage listeners to join relevant LinkedIn groups for resources on change, such as the Association of Change Management Professionals, the Organizational Change Practitioners, and Organization Development Network, ODN, and if certified, the Prosky Change Management Users Group. Plus, not a LinkedIn group, but many new resources at Change Management Review and on Twitter. And I'll include the uh, URL that he has here. I asked Paul to share something with us that might not be obvious from looking at him. And he says, uh, I used to be heavily involved in martial arts for about two decades. Enjoy science fiction, likes heavy metal or hard rock. One thing that we wouldn't guess from looking at him is that he enjoys archery. So for the record, I had not shot a bow and arrow for longer than I like to say, but this summer decided to re-engage in an old hobby and teach my six-year-old daughter at the same time. And so far, it's been a blast to relearn this old skill while teaching my kiddo from scratch, and to date, there have been no trips to the emergency room. So, thank you, Paul, for your uh, great responses here, and uh, thank you to those of you who submitted questions. I'll include all the links that Paul mentioned in the show notes, and I will talk to you all next time.